Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. About a year and a half ago, a family by the name of the Driscolls, Samantha and Timothy, uh, were simply trying to survive financially, like many of us. But then the stay-at-home order in response to COVID-19 forced them to close their small business and move what operations they could online. We had to completely deplete our savings while we were in shutdown, Driscoll says. Our studio was making next to nothing, but we had all of our regular expenses. We didn't defer any payments because we just would have to pay them eventually anyway. As you guys know, the Driscolls are among a majority of Americans who had profound anxieties and who continue to about money over the last year and a half, but in general as well. Advisory Net surveyed respondents to cite their top four reasons for financial anxiety. Number one was debt. Number two was lack of savings. Number three was retirement planning. And number four was the fear that they would lose their employment or their income. We all know this, we've all felt anxiety about finances at some point in our life, and we've certainly had worry about making decisions. And a lot of people, unless they get into actually studying scripture, think that there's not a lot in the Bible about money, but it couldn't be further from the truth. Scholars point out that Jesus actually discusses money more than heaven and hell combined. True story. Financial teacher Howard Dayton has counted over 2,300 verses specifically that deal with money. Another leading scholar suggests that the two primary themes of the whole Bible are redemption and stewardship. Stewardship meaning how we handle what we've been entrusted with, which includes our money. John Ortberg, an author that I love, he asks his readers to ponder why the Bible's author and editor which we believe is the Holy Spirit, would devote twice as many verses to money than to faith and prayer. One of the things I love about serving Jesus and following Jesus is that he is, yes, our savior. He's our redeemer. He lifts us up and welcomes us into this new life of following him, but he's also our Lord. That's why you hear people say, confess him as savior and Lord. So to call Jesus Lord means that he's the one who's in charge of your life. To use the metaphor of building a board, part of this idea of this new series that I'm gonna encourage you on is to to build a board for your life. You know, kind of like an organization would have a board. That board presents accountability for decisions, specifically fiscal decisions. Most churches have a board of trustees or elders or something like that, that in a lot of ways serve as accountability for the fiscal realities of the church. Sometimes we, in our personal financial lives, are just like running amok, doing whatever comes into our mind. And I want to encourage you to develop a board for your own life, for everything, but also for your finances. And the chair of that board, and corny warning, this is a little bit corny, is none other than the Lord Jesus. There's one chair on your board. He is the one through which You should filter every financial decision you make and through his word, which is what we're going to look at over the next three weeks, but then get a few more people on that board that can also speak into the decisions specifically financially in your life. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that at the end. So for three weeks, this series is going to be called Thrive based on this incredible verse in Proverbs 11, 28. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. 
Who would love to thrive like a green leaf? Yes and yes again. We want to thrive like green leaves, but we so easily trust in our own riches. And we so easily pursue riches to be the thing that gives us security. So that's what we're going to look at in this series. Part one is today, and it's going to be about learning contentment. Part two is going to be about thinking differently. And part three is going to be about trusting God completely. The key idea for the whole series is this. Make obedience to God your primary strategy in financial planning. Now, that principle could stop right there. And I want to acknowledge quickly before I finish that thought, a lot of people, when a pastor starts talking about money, all the guards go up. And I understand why. Because it's been so abused by, by people who have, you know, basically robbed congregants or well-meaning people watching uh, televangelists or things like that. And people have been taken advantage of. And, and ministers have made all kinds of horrible theologically unsound promises, like if you do this, then God will definitely do this. And this is how you get your 10,000 by giving us a thousand, you know, all these kind of things. And it's just, it's just madness. And I want to say a few things up front to help um, disarm some of those things, if perhaps you're thinking it, though probably not a lot of you are. But if you're thinking that we're doing a sermon series on finances so that we will get more money from you at Graceland Church, I'll encourage you this, whenever I, first talk, whenever I start talking about giving, which won't even be today, it'll be in the next couple of weeks, um, if you're uncomfortable giving here and you think we're in it for the wrong reason, practice everything the Bible says, but give somewhere else. You can attend here and just start giving to some other church. I would rather you just start following the principles of scripture than give here at all. The other thing is our, how we budget and how I'm paid and all that, those kinds of things is closely looked at by overseers and we have a developing board in place that you're gonna hear more about this fall. And it is in place, but we, we function under the covering of a church in North Little Rock right now that functions overseers for us and we're developing our own in-house board right now. All that stuff is set by them so, and, and, and how we budget and God has blessed us as a church. So this is in no way, oh my goodness, we, we really need some money, let's preach on giving. This is preaching for your sake, for my sake, for our own discipleship as unto the Lord. You guys tracking with that? So it's a big difference. Um, all that being said, I want to add this to the primary principle of the series. Make obedience to God, your primary strategy in financial planning, because his way works. So don't do this because your church needs it. Don't do this because someone has somehow convinced you. Do it because God is our creator and his way is the only way that works when it comes to stewardship. And when I say it works, it doesn't mean it's a way to get more money quickly. It means it's a way that you will thrive like a green leaf. <laughs> so that's talking about your emotions, your spirituality, your relationships, and yes, your finances. But it doesn't necessarily mean everything is always going to be up and to the right. That's not necessarily the promise. But the promise is peace in the midst of all of it and thriving in the midst of all of it. Tracking with me? Do we want to thrive like green leaves here? It's an easy answer, yes. So that's what this is about. Learn contentment is the title of part one. The key verse for today is 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5. You can turn there if you'd like. It'll also be on screen. The context is that we're talking about those who are fighting the teachings of Jesus. The Apostle Paul is writing and he's addressing them here for a moment. Some who, talking about those who are fighting the teachings of Jesus, have been robbed of the truth 
and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So the Apostle Paul right there is making a distinction, two different paths that we can take as we approach godliness. Probably most of us in this room are already saying we want to live godly lives. We want to follow his way, but we can errantly think that this godliness that we are pursuing is for financial gain. And that's the thing that has caused us all to become so cynical about money and church and money and Christianity sometimes is lots of people have used godliness for financial gain as the actual motive. Like they, they, they prey on people. But what the apostle Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. That's not how you approach godliness. Godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. And he's making the distinction. It is far better gain than whatever that financial gain would have been. And it leads to this first principle. When it comes to contentment, less is more. One of the primary lies of the enemy all throughout scripture and in our culture now and all throughout human history is the need for more. You need more. Foundational lie goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. When Satan approached them as a serpent, and wanted to deceive them, he essentially said, what you don't have is what you need. God is actually holding out on you. You need more. He was messing with what? Their contentment. We don't always see the desire for more as the enemy messing with our contentment, but a lot of times it is. Look at Ecclesiastes 4, 6. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. Sometimes less is more. My three-year-old son, God have mercy on his soul. Who feels like that about their children? We really do need that mercy, and I'm, I'm half joking. He's all into Hot Wheels right now, and he got a bunch of Hot Wheels for his third birthday just a few weeks ago. He's already got too many Hot Wheels. Don't give him any more Hot Wheels, people. He also got two big Hot Wheel like infrastructures. So they have tracks and parking garages and alligators and all kinds of crazy stuff. And and this is how powerful our culture is at convincing us that we need more. And and the enemy kind of like partners with our culture. He will use the narrative of commercialism in our life from a very young age to convince us you are not content. It's been so powerful in Clay's life that in that packaging, that his great new present came in with his Hot Wheels infrastructure came a little pamphlet. They get you with the pamphlets. On that pamphlet was like 30 other Hot Wheels infrastructures that he now had to look at that he does not have. Then his favorite thing to watch on TV, I say TV in parentheses, is a YouTube channel called Vlad and Nikki. And it's just two little brothers whose parents decided to turn them into YouTube superstars. They have like 90 million subscribers. And so they have tons of sponsors on YouTube. And it's just two little boys that play with toys. That's what he wants to watch. Vlad and Nikki is life for Clay right now. And guess what Vlad and Nikki have a sponsorship with? Hot Wheels. And so when Clay watches Vlad and Nikki, Vlad and Nikki have every single Hot Wheel toy known to man. And so Clay's new go-to thing now is he brings his little Hot Wheels pamphlet to me. That's like his new little Bible. And he's like, Dad, I need all of these. He just got two brand new ones. There's like 30 of them. He is being indoctrinated as a little three-year-old despite our best efforts 
of being like, no, this is not how we approach life. He is already convinced that what he needs is what he does not have. And I would just submit to you that we're not too different from little clay. And we so quickly slip into the idea that what we need is what we do not have. And it is a lie from the enemy in most cases. Reading on in verse seven, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So that's a pretty harsh indictment of those that want to get rich, right? And we're gonna look at the whole council of scripture in this series. There's nothing wrong with desiring to earn money, but this is speaking to those that want to get rich. And the second principle, contentment means less of what does not matter and more of what does. Picture yourself for a moment if you got news for sure that you only had three months to live. And you may have used this as a reflective practice at some point in your life. Imagine that if you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, in three months, I go home to be with Jesus. What do you think about in your life? What becomes important? What becomes unimportant? There's a great book by uh, Bronnie Ware called Regrets of the Dying. She spent decades with people uh, right before they died. So she heard all their final thoughts, thousands of people over the decades. And she said three of the top five things they regret are, I wish I hadn't worked so hard, which is usually connected to a lack of contentment. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends, which is sometimes the result of a lack of contentment. You're just so busy getting more that you can't even call your old buddy from sixth grade. And they have a longing for those old friends. I wish that I had let myself be happier. That's such a powerful and sad one. There's this sense on the deathbed of, man, why didn't I just enjoy this whole thing? I just got to do a lot more. Why was I so worked up? Why was I so discontent? I think Christians add to this list, I wish I trusted God more. Especially probably when we enter into eternity, I think it I mean, I doubt we're gonna be living with tons of regret up there. I mean, I think God's gonna help us with how our brains are wired and all that, but there's gonna to have to be this thought of looking back on the things that we thought were plaguing us and being like, oh my goodness, that was nothing. I should have trusted this great and wonderful God. I wish I loved my family and friends better and I wish I enjoyed the blessings more. That's another way of saying, I wish I had let myself be happier. I wish I had enjoyed what God had given me rather than being so focused on what I did not have and what I felt like he did not give me. Have you ever noticed how easily your mind can be consumed what you've, by what you feel like God has not given you? That is the enemy. That is quite exactly how he tempted Adam and Eve and got them to disobey the voice of God in their life. In Christ, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, period. And that's why when we're on our deathbed, no one's being like, I wish there was just, uh, I wish I had better shoes on right now. As I get to cross over, man, I wish I was wearing those new whatevers. Maybe I wish I had this better phone. I wish I had that leather sofa in my house that I'll never sit on again. I doubt that's what's coming through your mind. Better car, new countertops, more Instagram followers, more trinkets, the next level on whatever game you play. Those things are out the window, right? So part of contentment is Less of what does not matter and more of what does. 
Look at what verse seven said again. For we brought nothing into the world. Really sit with that. What did you bring into the world? Let's all say it. Nothing. And then it says, we can take nothing out of it. What will you take out of this world? Nothing. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we can actually rest in that. We can actually learn to live much more at peace in that truth. Reading on in verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it's important to note, money is not evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Have you ever struggled with that? I, I, have, I have felt my heart drift at times in my adult life doing exactly what the scripture says, becoming eager for money. And when my heart starts to get eager for money, guess what happens? I start to wander from the faith a little bit. I start to pierce myself. Look what the scripture says. Pierce myself with what? Many griefs. So there's this sense of eagerness for money that he's urging us away from. And in verse 11, but you, man of God, woman of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Number three, pursue righteousness, not riches. And that's essentially lifted right out of our key verse for the series. Look at it again. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. So be careful what we're pursuing. Pursue righteousness, not riches. And let me just clarify, when we are talking about pursuing righteousness, we're not talking about pursuing salvation. We're not talking about trying to earn the blessing of God. That's all the gospel. The good news says, put your faith in him, confess your sin, commit your life to him. By faith, we are saved. By grace, we are saved through faith. It's a gift of God so that none of us can boast. So when we do that, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, scripture says. That's the free gift of salvation. Don't get it twisted with that. But at the same time, once we receive that gift of salvation, we're not meant to just wallow in all of our horrible decisions still and wallow in all of this sin. We're meant to grow up into that righteousness. That's called sanctification. Grow up into what we already have positionally so that our lives actually reflect righteousness. That's what it means to pursue righteousness. It's like when I was a little kid, sometimes my dad would put his suit coat on me and it was probably about this size because we're similar in size as adults. And it would just, you know, my hand, my arms would be like down to here and it would just, it would flop all over me. I, I was wearing the righteousness of my father when I was wearing that coat, but I didn't fit it yet. Right? And it would look silly if I lived like that the rest of my life. I had to grow up into it so that I could actually move around in that righteousness. And what this is saying is to, to not pursue riches and to pursue righteousness is to say, man, the way of Jesus is the way that works. So I'm going to pursue his way. I'm going to pursue his commands. I'm going to pursue his law around what he says regarding stewardship and finances. And the promise is you will thrive like a green leaf. Jess and I took our four kids to an air show yesterday. Uh, anybody here ever been to like a military air show? Okay, this, oh yeah, former military, we're working on jets here. I'm gonna sound dumb. You're gonna, you're gonna have to correct me after service, but I, I spent a number of years as a kid growing up on a naval air station outside of San Francisco because my dad was a Navy chaplain there. So our backyard was a field and then a giant airstrip. So like the Blue Angels perform there every year, multiple times, the Thunderbirds perform there, all the different jets. Now this is when I was like six, seven, eight, nine years old. So man, jets were like everything, right? And so in my adulthood, especially when we lived out in California, we would go 
to the air shows and I would bring my kids. And ever since we moved to Tennessee about three and a half years ago, we've not been to one air show, partially because there weren't any that were quite that close. Um, it just never worked out with our schedule. Of course, COVID canceled a lot the other year, but we found one and we've been building up to it for months. That was in Kentucky yesterday. And I was almost depressed in the morning because it was supposed to rain there. We, we drove up anyway in hopes it was gonna still happen. The clouds cleared, everything happened. And my, my, kid, my older kids have already been to some air shows, but for Clay, it was his very first one ever. And let me just say, it was glorious. If you've never been to an air show, you got to get to one of these air shows. You can come with us. If you wanna ever be a part of the team, like the Hulays here at Graceland Church, they don't know this, but they're gonna be forced to go to air shows with us. It's almost like, like I should put, it's like compassion, we value compassion. We value belonging. We value formation here at Graceland Church. We value being a part of God's renewal and mission, and we value air shows. <laughs> so just word to the wise if you ever wanna be on the team. So. I just wanted to say that because I wanted to say it, but to set up this story, on the way back from the air show, I got a call, uh, or a text rather, from Danny Allen, and my wife is using my phone while I'm driving. Danny Allen is one of our incredible longtime members. He served on the board here for years, and he's a local farmer. He has Allen Book Farms uh, down in, I believe, Spring Hill area. And his tomatoes uh, got ripe faster than he expected, and so he said, hey, would you like me to bring some tomatoes over to the house? I could bring them over right now. It's the first time he's ever offered us fresh produce uh, like that. And I said, absolutely, but we're not there. We're, we're like an hour and a half away still. And he said, I'll drop them off on your doorstep. So we came home last night to a big box of freshly grown giant red tomatoes. When Kenzie, one of my girls saw it, and she's obsessed with tomatoes, she said, I'm in heaven, I'm in heaven. And she followed the tomatoes all the way to the kitchen. And she would have taken one out and just started eating it like an apple if I would have let her. It doesn't need to be washed or anything in Kenzie's mind. She's obsessed with tomatoes. But it struck me as I was thinking about thriving like a green leaf. That was a long setup to say. Many things, when they thrive, they produce incredible fruit. It turns into produce. It turns into these things of value in your life. And I believe with all my heart that if you will commit to pursuing righteousness, and let's even say these are like three weeks of consecration at Graceland Church. They used to say in the Old Testament, consecrate yourselves before the Lord because tomorrow he will do great things. And in the age of grace and, and in the, we preach the gospel, we sometimes miss the call to radical holiness righteousness before God. We are called to a righteous life. We're not meant to wallow in all these ways of sin that don't work and hurt us. And some of us are getting killed in our finances because of our lack of contentment. So the invitation is this. If you would like to make it your prayer for these three weeks, and it's not that you've never done it before, but it's just doing it afresh and anew. I want to consecrate my life before the Lord when it comes to stewardship making the declaration that he is the chair of the board of my life. He is actually in control. And then I wanna close with four simple results. And these might even be considered some of the fruit of a mindset of contentment. Number one, spend less. When you have a mindset of contentment, you will not spend as much money. And guess what miraculously happens when you don't spend as much money. You have more money. Have you guys ever learned that lesson? Some of you guys, that sounds like brand new information. Did you know? Did, so don't point to your spouse. I saw that. Did you know? Did you know 
that if you spend less, you will have more money. Life-changing. I believe we're all called to spend less, period. I don't wanna be insensitive to those of you guys that might be deeply struggling financially where you're so tight that it's paycheck to paycheck. But even a lot of times in those cases, and I've counseled people in those situations often, a lot of times if you really dig down, they can spend less. Sometimes we're in situations that we've got ourselves in because of a lack of contentment. Do you really need to be paying that much for your home? Do you really need to be paying that much for vehicles? Do you really need that much debt on your credit card so that you can wear that or have that? Insert the blank for whatever it is for you. So these things build up over years in our lives and cause us to be in this place where we are bound up and in debt and we're like servants to, 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 to money. We're, we're just like, we, we are captive to these th this thing that owns us because of our lack of contentment that makes us spend too much. So just preach to yourself, spend less. In 1910, in our country, the average house had one small closet. Now, we want usually at least one walk-in, a few little closets too, a garage, an attic, and possibly additional storage on top of that that we pay for outside of our house. Who's with me? We have so much stuff. When we lived in LA, we had to get this whole storage unit just to put all our stuff because we were in little apartment life. We were there for eight years. We almost never opened the stuff. A lot of the boxes never broke the seal. We moved here. We brought them all with us here. We piled them into our first house in Nashville. Now we piled them into our house in Thompson Station. And they are mostly still unopened. We don't need all of this stuff. Less really can be more. Less stuff, more friends. Less stuff, more time with family. Less stuff, more experiences. Number two, a result of a mindset of contentment is you will simplify your life. That's part of spending less. Simplify how you live. One of my favorite books of the last decade that I would highly recommend is called Essentialism. It's by this guy, Greg McCowan. It's not a Christian book, but he is a strong Christian. It was a New York Times bestseller. His tagline for his book was Essentialism, the disciplined pursuit of less. And he makes the case that when you, in a disciplined way, pursue less, your life becomes that much more effective and fruitful, and it's part of a mindset of contentment. It's like when you try to watch TV right now on all these streaming platforms, you know, we've, we've got all of them at our house. How many of you are like me and you can spend 15 minutes looking for something to watch, and when you're done looking at thousands of titles, you feel terrible, and all you can think is there's nothing to watch? Anybody with me? It is like soul crushing because you're just looking for something that's funny or great or whatever. It sometimes is too many options that's paralyzing. A lot of young people, as they're praying through their career path in, in today's day and age. It's like too many options. And that's a good thing to have, you know, economic strength in our country. We're thankful for that, but it causes stress to a lot of young people that are trying to figure out their life because they, it's too many options. And so something about simplifying life, having a mindset of contentment really causes us to rest and be at peace. Greg McCowan in that book, Essentialism, said, what if society stopped telling us to buy more stuff and instead allowed us to create more space to, space to breathe and think? Imagine if that was the message of society. It's not, but imagine if it was. What if society encouraged us to reject what has been accurately described as doing things we detest, to buy things we don't need, with money we don't have, to impress people we don't like? 
Who has ever been a victim of that? I have. I don't even like what I'm doing anymore. No one even get, you know, it's just crazy. Bronnie Ware, that same author of that Regress of the Dying book, said, by simplifying your lifestyle and making conscious choices along the way, it is possible to not need the income that you think you do. Can I read that again? It is possible to not need the income that you think you do. You might not need to keep seeing upward mobility at work. Maybe you make enough. Everyone that I ever disciple and am pastoring that comes into making a lot of money, I always tell them, set a cap on your income. Set a cap right now. What is the most you ever need to make? And then choose to everything else that you make above that, figure out how to, based on these principles that while buying less and simplifying your life, the one or two things that you do buy that are more expensive might actually be more expensive and nicer. And that can be a really good thing. That can be good stewardship. In other words, you might have some nice stuff, some really nice If there's no one regularly, or at least at some times, telling you no to things you want financially, you might not be living a wise financial life. It is a gift to be told no when it is the way of wisdom. We never love it in the moment. Clay would spend all my money right now on Hot Wheels if I let him but I have to tell him no a lot about his Hot Wheel collection. <laughs> and he doesn't know it, but in a couple years, he's not gonna care at all about Hot Wheels. He's gonna graduate to Legos and I'm gonna be in real trouble because they're way more expensive. So I don't know what you sense God speaking to you today. One closing thought for you. I read a parenting book this past week called How, How, Ki How Children Raise Parents. And he submitted that there are two foundational questions that every kid is asking and that we're also asking these questions as adults. One is, am I loved? Two, can I get my way? And he said, the answers need to be yes, you're unconditionally loved. And no, you cannot get your way. We bring that right into adulthood. And let me just submit, letting go of the control of our finances and hearing a no from God. No, Nathan, it's not all about you getting your way when it comes to your finances. Embracing God-given limits is part of the grace of God. It is a gift and it should not be seen as anything else. And you might just need to release yourself into that. It's like taking your hands off the reins. I always, thinking about, I always think about releasing ourselves in the river of God. When we were singing that earlier, especially that line when it gets to that major chord and it swells and the things of earth will go strangely dim. I'm picturing myself like on a lazy river, releasing myself into the river of God, except without a flotation vice and just sinking in it, letting the love of God wash over me in, in this river of trust, this river of peace. So let's stop the rat race. Can't we do that? Let's stop it in here too. And let's just sing that simple chorus. Daniel's just going to play on the piano. It's been great having you on piano today, Daniel, by the way. He's an opera singer too, I'm just saying. So one of these days. Um, let's just sing, turn your eyes. Congregation, let's lift our voice. Let's be in his river. Next week, we'll continue the Thrive series and look at thinking differently. I'm going to pray this benediction over us and we'll be dismissed. To God, the Father who loved us, and made us accepted as the beloved. To God the Son who loved us and loosed us from our sins by his own blood 
and to God the Holy Spirit who spreads the love of God abroad in our hearts. To this one true God be all love and all glory for time and eternity. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Love you guys very much.